0: I'll tell you what I used to absolutely love. I loved walking into a Blockbuster video store. All of those choices on a Friday night in anticipation of a whole weekend before you. I remember my parents would drop me and my friends off at Blockbuster and it was not just a time to pick out a movie. It was a time to see who else was showing up at Blockbuster Video. It was a time you would perhaps run into people from other high schools or other parts of town. And I could just browse those VHS videos for a couple of hours. I still have a VCR somewhere in my house. It has a lot of dust on it. And not too long ago, one of my teenagers literally asked, hey dad, what in the world is this? I said, there are tapes we may want to watch one day. We haven't watched them in years, but we're going to keep the VCR machine just in case. So in 1989, I was a freshman or sophomore in high school at that time, Blockbuster was opening 17, they were opening stores every 17 hours. I mean, that would have been a time to invest in Blockbuster. Then, you know, the VHS tapes kind of went out, but DVDs took their place and there would be no improvement, at least in our minds, we thought, to a DVD player. They were awesome. I mean, DVDs, you could pick the chapter. They had secret, you know, they had secret narration at the end of the videos and, and, you know, DVDs were it, right? So in 2004, Blockbuster was at its height. There were 9,000 blockbuster venues in the world. Maybe it was America. I don't know. I didn't read my article close enough, but there were a lot of blockbusters and there's 9,000 places you can rent DVDs. And at that time I would have thought, man, if I had any money, I didn't have any money at that time. I would invest in blockbuster in 2004. Why not? Because you can never improve on DVDs, and there's all of these stores, brick and mortar stores, are already built. This is an, an incredible opportunity. But that was the peak because something came out called Redbox. And why walk into Blockbuster when there's a little red box? You can go in your pajamas at 2 in the morning and no one knows who you are. And then Netflix came around, and it was kind of cool because they would mail you DVDs. And you may not remember this, but there was a time when netflix stock just fell and there was like this great jeopardy of netflix going under but they have kind of recovered i would say the digital revolution has made things so easy so i say all of that because blockbuster was awesome i mean it was incredible do you know how many blockbuster stores exist today here at the end of 2018 one single store it's in Oregon, and here's a picture of the actual store. It's actually a photo opportunity now. Dish Network owns Blockbuster. They've, they're keeping this one store open as, I guess, just a piece of nostalgia. So, so why is it, you know, why was Blockbuster number one, and now all it is is a memory? It's like a museum. It's because at one time, Blockbuster had something to offer, offered convenience, it offered entertainment, it offered uh, even social interaction. But now those needs have changed and there's nothing that they offer their customers anymore. I was thinking about that company because I'm talking with you in a series right now about the church and I love the church and I want you to love the church. Not just CIL, but all places that proclaim the greatness of Jesus and are true to the word of God. And here in the first quarter of the 21st century, what does the, world, the church have to offer the world? Right? I mean, last week we talked about what is the church and embedded within those definitions, we learned some things about the church that gave us value, it lifted us, lifted our spirits, made us glad we're all here. But what do we have to offer the world What is it that we can give that's different than just a social experience, even though that's a good part of the church, or it's good than just an emotional lift, even though it's okay to have our emotions lifted? What does the church offer the world? I'm gonna give you a few things today. Here's the first thing that comes to mind. We offer something different, distinct, the word of God. We offer the word of God. This is so unique, unique. There is no comparison to the Word of God. And theologically, and we're not going to go through a long explanation of this today, but the Word of God is Jesus. The Word of God is Jesus, and we don't know who Jesus is is without the Scripture. So the reason we love Scripture and we love the Bible and we're people of the Bible is because the Bible reveals a person who is actually God, (laughs) John chapter 1 tells us that the word is Jesus the word became flesh and so we love the bible which is the standard we love the scripture because we love Jesus because we wouldn't know who Jesus was without the scripture we wouldn't have the word of god if we didn't have something from outside our own experience and our own imagination if we offer a Jesus we're creating a Jesus that that fits culturally into our own imagination then Jesus is no different than a myth, a legend, a cartoon character. Jesus is no different than any other kind of legend that mankind can invent. But we have the word of God, the scripture, which is a revelation of Jesus. The word of God is Jesus. And so we're people of the scripture. And I want to remind you of that because your exposure to scripture, and there's a lot of ways to be exposed to scripture, is the formation of Christ within you. Let's look at some of the the, the passages that inform us of this. First Peter chapter one, verse twenty three says this Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus has given us new birth. We know that because Jesus is the word of God. We know the word of God is scripture revealing Jesus. From the beginning to the end of scripture, we, we learn about Jesus. All of the Old Testament builds up to Jesus. And Jesus and what, what he did on the cross and through the resurrection is the pinnacle of the Bible. And then the rest of the New Testament, Peter John, James, Paul, they're just explaining what Jesus did. It all goes back to Jesus. He's the centerpiece. He is the, the word of God. That is what good news is. That's what the gospel is. That's a real popular term right now. So if for some people, I gotta slip in the word gospel and they don't think I'm a good preacher. So it's the gospel, all right? It's, it's Jesus. Uh, it's the scripture. It's the word of God. This is what we offer the world. We don't offer the world good music. We don't offer the world you know, charismatic leaders. We don't offer offer the world branding. We don't offer the world social cohesion and a chance to build a community. Those are all things that are that are sometimes embedded. But if it's not about Jesus, then those things are worthless. If it's not about Jesus, those things don't have spiritual meaning. Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse fourteen, Paul is writing a young pastor named Timothy. And and what powerful words we're going to read. It says, But as for you, talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. This is a real important line. You know those who taught you. And I just want to say that the kingdom of God is built through relationship. And we ought to know the people who preach to us, or at least we ought to know someone who knows the people who preach to us, because I know sometimes that is not always practical. But we should be in relationship, someone in our life who's a spiritual leader we should be in relationship with, or in friendship, or or know. This is what the scripture says, you know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures. Can I just say this? Those of you who work with Deanna in our early childhood ministry, you're not babysitters, you're not just taking care of kids. You are imparting scripture in the presence of the Lord by your care for the kids. And there's touches, touches of concepts from the scripture that our, our young ones, our infants, our toddlers, they're already beginning to digest and integrate into their life. That's why our early childhood is a ministry, not just a childcare time. We want, we want to begin to teach these kids You've known that from infancy, you've known sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There we go. Jesus is the one who salvation. We know that because of scripture. This is a powerful scripture for us because we find out here contextually that Timothy used to wear an Awana vest. This is part of what we do. If you don't know what Awana is, on Wednesday nights, we... We train kids and we train them in scripture. Awana is not just a, a night for you to go out with your spouse out to dinner or if you're a single parent to go run errands. Now, if you do that, we no shame here, no shame here. I mean, we, we, we ask for you to volunteer in some ministry, but Beth and I, we've done that in the past. And so we're glad to give you that night. But the purpose of Awana is not to give you a night off, it's to impart scripture into your kids. I mean, this is a Bible-based scriptural memory program. This is a chance for your kids to integrate scripture into your life. It's a system. It's not the best system. I'm not the only system, but it's a good system. I I think it is a, a, a best system for our church on Wednesday nights. When when I work with Pastor Deborah, who's over our children's ministry, and work with Pastor Jennifer and Pastor Chip, who's sitting in here or was in here, and we 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 talk about journeys and connections and what's happening here. These are not just things to make the kids happy. Even though we want that, we want them to be happy. We want them to have friends. That's so important. We want them to know the word of God. And, and Chip and Danny and Kim who work with Connections each week, they're, they're putting on the Facebook parent page, this is what the kids learn They learned last week about Isaac and how Isaac took the blessing and the covenant and took it from Abraham. These are important things. These are what we offer the world. We offer the world the word of God, not the opinions of man. Not not necessarily what the, the hottest, flashiest thing. It's ancient truth. It's truth that is grounded, that's embedded in ancient literature, that's been tested, that's, that has been around much longer than any of us and will be around longer than any of us exist here on earth. This is a powerful truth. This is why we're strategic. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 11 is what Sid read to you earlier and. We won't read this verbatim because we're running low on time. It it says here, as you see on the screen, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is why we need scripture because God thinks differently than we do. And we'll begin to create our own reality based off our preferences, our personality, our experience, our desires. But here the Lord is saying that as the heavens higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. It takes some humility to believe that. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, this is a powerful explanation in verse 10. Going on, it says this. You go on to the next slide. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven... And do not return there. Here is an example from nature God is giving. Just as it rains and it snows, and here's the result of it. It saturates the earth, making it germinate and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat. So we have to have rain to have food. We have to have rain to have the beauty of nature. And this is what the Lord says. sow my word. Listen, the rain and the snow are a sign to you of what God does through his word. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return void, will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Exposure to the word of God, exposure to scripture brings about the fruit God wants. And that's why there is no wasted service. There is no wasted sermon. There is no wasted devotional time. There is no wasted 2:42 group. There is no wasted youth service or touch from the Lord because the repetition and the exposure brings forth the fruit God desires. You know, not every rain is spectacular. I like the rain when I'm, when I have a cup of coffee and a good book and I'm dry and I can just hear that rain come down. That's a great thing. But sometimes the rain's not convenient. Sometimes the rain is messy. Sometimes the rain gets on me, but it accomplishes God's purpose. So it is. He's saying, so it is with my word. I'm going to send my word. I'm going to send it when it's appealing to you. And I'm going to send it when you don't really like it. I'm going to send my word, but my word will not return empty. I'm sending it to accomplish my purpose. God is establishing his kingdom. He's establishing his ways. He's establishing his culture. He's establishing who he is through the word of God. And that is what, as the gathering of God's people, we offer the world. We offer the world, the word of God, which is Jesus. If you've been to New York Harbor, and I know you've seen the picture of the Statue of Liberty, it's been with us since 1886, and it is a dominating physical picture of a concept, We can summarize that concept in one word, the word liberty. It evokes so much. It evokes so much of our history, of, as a nation, our founding documents, of our ethos, our attitude. And one look at the Statue of Liberty, all of a sudden, all of this history, even subconsciously, rushes back to your head. And even thoughts and attitudes of us as a people come. Why? Because symbols are important. And symbols have power. And often physical symbols, physical symbols summarize what words can't adequately express. Sometimes a physical symbol can summarize a word that, that we, it can summarize a concept that words fail us. So it is with, in our faith, Jesus said, I'm going to take two of the most common everyday things you have to do. You have to do these things weekly or even daily. And I'm going to call them holy. And those are sacraments. Sacraments is the next thing we offer the world. A sacrament is a visible sign of inward grace. A a sacrament is something physical, visible, touchable, at some points tasteable, That God has said, I'm taking that which is common, ordinary, necessary, part of human biology, it's part of the human experience, and I'm going to call it holy, and I'm going to say, my presence is going to be in this, and it's going to symbolize what you can't understand on your own. And that's what we offer. The church, guys, we are not just a speaking bureau, okay? We're not just offering good speakers, that, that's, that's my concern about the American church now. Preaching has become our sacrament. We're like, who do you like? Why do you like them? Who are you listening to? But preaching is supposed to bring us to transcendent experience into Jesus and nothing unites the church like the sacraments because Jesus told us to participate in these sacraments. Hey, okay, first one, let's talk about, we're gonna talk about two sacraments. It's the two that Jesus was very clear about, our baptism. Water baptism, a powerful symbol that invites your whole body to proclaim what God has done for you spiritually. fact with your own with your whole physical body you're, you're proclaiming something that words fail the death of yourself and the resurrection through christ the dying of yourself the transformation of the old man and the resurrection of the new man and words can't adequately describe what that is and so we have to physically get in the water and we go under and we come back up because words fail us It's a beautiful picture of a sacrament that Jesus told us to participate in because it symbolizes and it more than symbolizes, it has power on the symbol to summarize our faith and to proclaim who we are. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's a Christian experience for every believer Peter said this in Acts 2.38 as he was preaching. Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This idea of the full, the full Christian experience is a baptized believer who's baptized in water as a symbol of what God's doing in filling him or her with the Holy Spirit. Now, what we've done in Christianity is we've said something that is accurate, but has now been interpreted as, and I believe is damaging. We, we say this, and I've said this many times because it's true. You don't need to be baptized in water to go to heaven. I still believe that statement because it's a work and we don't go to heaven through a work. And so on a real practical level, if someone, you know, gave their life to Christ or they were converted and There wasn't a chance for them to be baptized in water. Mechanically, it couldn't happen. You know, various circumstances why it couldn't happen. They're going to be in heaven. They can't earn their way to heaven through water baptism. And so we've kind of summarized that by saying, you don't have to be baptized in water to be saved. And while that is true, there's been uh, an an overreaction to where now believers just think it's no big deal if they're not baptized. I don't want to wear shorts in front of the church. Technically, you could wear, like, stretchy pants or (laughs) or the sweatpants that go swish, swish, swish. I don't know what you call those, running, running pants. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, people are like, I'm just not going to get baptized. And, and I think it's pride. I think it's a lack of biblical education. I think it's a lack of like vigorous faith that says Jesus did it and it's in the Bible and the pastor's asked, let's do it, man. Let's do it because I got faith in my heart. We're like, no, man, I'm too cool. I'm not going to do it. And, and I really believe, I actually believe something and I wasn't even going to say this, but I believe that there's some people in this church who are unwilling to be baptized in water. And it is keeping us from having breakthroughs in salvation. I mean, I, I, I believe that, and I was—I didn't share that in the first service, and but I feel led to. I guess I feel led to share it now. Um, it is not a works for salvation, but it's a regular part of the Christian experience. And then there's communion. Again, communion. Jesus takes what is so ordinary eating and drinking and you can even say it's grotesque in some ways but necessary and he says I'm going to call it holy and and my presence is going to be there in the bread and it's going to be there in the cup and you're going to join God's people of all times and all places who have always done this because we're one body and we're eating from one loaf and we're drinking from one cup and my anointing is in that and that's so powerful I want us to go on to, to, to verse 17 so we can understand this. Because there is one bread, because there this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Since all of us share one bread. Isn't it beautiful to know that the churches all over Hendersonville and Gallatin, all over Nashville, the church, the church in the Far East in China. The church in India, the church in the Scandinavian countries, they drink the same cup and eat from the same bread we do. That's beautiful. Different languages, different cultures, different ways of expressing ourselves to God, even different interpretation on secondary points of Scripture. One bread, one cup. The sacrament, the power of the Lord, the power of the Lord says when you go to the table, you are part of Christ, Christ is is part of you, you're part of one body. We're getting ready for our Thanksgiving blessing. And thank you for your generosity to make that happen. We've been doing that now, this will be the 11th year we've done it as CIL. How many people have come to our church because of the Thanksgiving blessing? I only know of one person and she only came for a few months. So let me ask you this question. It's a rhetorical question. The first service answered out loud. You don't have to do that. (laughs) Should we stop giving out Thanksgiving meals because it doesn't grow the church? Okay, you answered it anyway. You just couldn't resist because it's such, it just demanded. No, because we are showing tangible love to our community and I want you to write down tangible love. You can read first John four, seven through 12 and it's saying that God is love and we're more like God when we love than ever before. I'm so glad that the evangelical church is getting involved in the social need. That's been a great trend in the last 10 to 15 years. I love the fact that all of our churches are doing more to reach the needs of the community, but it concerns me and if, if me as a pastor, if, if I begin to do that just to grow the church, and not to be the love of Christ. I don't like it when people give me a gift and there's a catch to it. Now, if you haven't been to our event, we pray with every person. We're proud of our church. We tell them about our church. We're not hiding our church, but we, we know this is that the outcome may not be in these seats on Sunday mornings, but it doesn't change the heart of God. It says, reach out to those who are disadvantaged, disadvantaged who need a help, who need a lift who needs some, some love because we, as God's people, if you didn't catch the third point, we share tangible love. That's what we do. We share tangible love. Here's the last thing I want to say. It's not really the last thing, but it's the beginning of the last thing. There are people in this world that I feel sorry for, that I have sympathy for. And it's because I was one of these people. It's people who trust in politics. Whether it's the far left or the far right are those who feel like we're perfectly balanced, which is usually every single one of us. You know, all of us feel like we're balanced because we set our own extremes. When we trust in politics, we are trusting in worldly power that will always fail us. Now I believe in being an informed voter and I feel like I am and I respect those who, who give their life to public service and there are many men and women who have wonderful motives and they deserve honor. But I also know this is that when believers put their hope in politics and in political power, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment because unbelievers are putting their hope in that type of earthly power. And it's, it's, it's a hope that is guaranteed to fail. The prophet Isaiah, many thousands of years ago, talked about an ideal place, often known as the mountain of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter two, I love sharing these scriptures with you because here's my fourth point. We offer the world hope for our future. That's what we offer the world And that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for a new leader. They're looking for a new idea. They're looking for a new human concept. And while God can use all of those things, those are not the end. Those are a means to the end. The end is the leadership of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again and he physically and visibly comes to this world, however he chooses to do it and whenever he chooses to do it, if you're looking for someone with charts, with all you know crazy looking animals on the charts and, and trumpets and stuff, I'm not your guy. But I do know this, is that Jesus promised he would come back. He's going to come back on his own choosing when none of us can figure it out. And he's going to surprise us. But when he comes back, the world's going to see a true leader. The world's going to see the king of kings, the president of presidents, the senator of senators, the governor of governors, the leader of leaders, the CEO of all CEOs. He's going to bring back his leadership to the earth. And this is the hope we have to offer. When our world is full of conflict and confusion and our world cannot get along, we, we may be informed and we may be aware of what's happening in the news and we may even be concerned about the state of our fellow man, but we have to lift up our hopes higher to the plan that has always existed, that God's going to redeem the world and he's gonna bring back his leadership and he's gonna bring back his rule and his reign and we're gonna see the coming of the Lord in our life. I love, I'm gonna skip the Isaiah scriptures for now, but we'll come back to them uh, after communion. Revelation 7, 9. This is the most hopeful scripture that, that gives me so much hope for our future. It says this, after this, I look and there was a vast multitude. Can I tell you what vast multitude means? It means a whole lot of people. That's what it means, all right? Isn't that a good thing? A whole lot of people, a vast multitude. Look at this, from Every nation. Every nation. Every people group, every nation tribe, people, and language which no one could number. Again, I told you it was a lot of people. I'm smart, right? I'm a smart biblical scholar. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches. That's a positive thing. Well, we can we can look at that some other time. Verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. That means the one who's going to save us is the one who's in charge. He is not subversive. He's not uh, ruling and reigning, uh, uh, serving some else he's ruling and reigning on the throne and he is in charge and he is the one that's worthy and he is the one that we're serving that's the hope we have to offer the world can we stand together we're going to open the Lord's table and, and we're going to give you a chance as Pastor Aubrey leads us in worship uh, to, to, to just meditate on this message and if you want to take communion today I won't give further instructions but there's communion available to your left to your right, also in the back. And then I'll be down here in the middle. I'm going to serve by intinction, which means you take the bread and you dip it in the cup. And it's, a, it's another expression that we believe is the way Jesus expressed at the Last Supper. And so we're going to have a chance to enter into this divine space, enter into this place where heaven touches earth. This is the gateway to heaven. This is a place, guys, you're not just here uh, listening to music and listening to preaching. You are accessing a gateway to heaven. You're, you are accessing... Uh, um, um, a presence, a presence that's available in the sacraments. A hope that's tangible. A hope that is stronger when we when we are in despair because we don't like the outcome of the story. We go back to a story that's older and more reliable and more ancient. And there was a prophet named Isaiah that talked about a mountain of the Lord, that there's greater days coming. There's greater opportunity coming. We can hope in the one who's coming back for us and so we worship him. Let's spend some time in his presence and then I'm going to come back just in a couple of minutes and, and get some further instructions before we dismiss. The table of the Lord is now open to you.